So you're in college, you're gonna go to seminary, but you've kind of started your own business, and now maybe it's time to rethink things. Well, this was the case for Ryan Dice, the founder of digitalmarketer.com, scalable.co, and Traffic and Conversion Summit. You've seen him flying around with Grant Cardone on his private jet. You've seen him with Damon John. You've seen him on many speaking stages across the world. Now, I asked Ryan to come on because I saw him at Hypergrowth in Boston about a year ago, and he said something that absolutely blew my mind, and it was the only app that anyone looks at every single day on their phone is their email. And he had a lot to say about email, marketing, newsletters, so I took this opportunity to talk to him about a little bit of that, but we talked more so on copywriting, we talked about turning a hobby into a business, um, and we also talked about how giving away a ton of information for free is fantastic. However, if you don't ask for the sale at some point, you're a coward. So listen to the episode and see what he means by that. But it was a fantastic, fantastic time talking to Ryan, who's down in Austin, Texas still, and doing fantastic things with his multiple companies. So let's get into it. Here we go. First things first, you are in Austin, Texas. I have a home down in Austin, and I'll actually be on my way tomorrow. However, uh, when you were in your dorm room at UT Austin, and you weren't necessarily on 6th Street, and you were starting a company that you didn't know was going to exist, um, what was it that led you down the road of, you know, I might have a future as a business owner versus just a student who's going to just kind of grow into a job? That's a deep question. So two things. Growing up, I always knew that I wanted money. And I know that sounds weird. I didn't want stuff necessarily, but I remember somebody asked me what I was going to be when I grew up and I said a millionaire. Um, and, uh, and they said, well, that's not a job. Like, how are you actually going to do it? My dad reminded me of this uh, not that long ago. It was one of those memories like you think you have, but you're like, was it real? And it came up out of context and he reminded me of it. He said, do you remember that time somebody asked, asked you what you wanted to be and you said a millionaire and they, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't like it. And do you remember what you told him? And I had forgotten this part. Um, I said, well, Bruce Wayne is a millionaire and I don't know how he got his, you know, so I'm going to do like Bruce Wayne. So like my, my favorite superhero growing up was, was uh, Bruce Wayne, not necessarily the Batman, but you know, from an early age, like I always just assumed that I would, that I would have wealth, that I would have money. I don't know where it came from. I really don't. I grew up in kind of a, you know, middle-class family. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want for anything, but it's mm -hmm. not like I grew up around any sort of ostentatious wealth. But, um, so that was, I think always there. And then when I, you know, when I started the company, actually, when I was in college, that's why I say this is kind of deep. I haven't really talked about this before. I was actually planning on going into vocational ministry. I was going to go Whoa. to seminary and be okay. a pastor. And, um, and I started these little businesses literally just to make some extra money. I actually started, if you've heard the story, I wanted to buy um, an engagement ring for my then, you know, girlfriend. And so I was like, I need to make some extra cash. So <laughs> for me, it was just a, it was almost like a part-time job. Literally was all that it was. I did not see it as a business because I was planning on going to seminary. And um, I remember talking to the, you know, my my uh, my pastor and college minister guy, and he's like, "Really, Ryan? I don't think you should go to seminary." He's like, "I think you'd kind of be a bad pastor." I feel like that's just... so the opposite of what you expected to hear. It absolutely was. It kind of <laughs> rocked my world. And um, and he told me, he said, "Look, he said you can always go." He's like, "I don't want to completely discourage you." He said, "You can always go that path." 
He's like, the world will always let, like seminaries will always take people in for better or worse, right? He's like, so you can always go that path, but you, so you've started these businesses and, and you seem like you're more business-minded. You ought to try that first because my impression of you is that you want a lot of things in this world that I don't think you know, full-time ministry is going to give you. So I very much appreciate him saying that. I mean, it utterly kind of crushed my dreams and my identity at the moment. But that was when, when that was sort of taken, I turned back and I was like, well, I guess I really should look at this business stuff. For hearing that, that makes me think like, that's a sign, like a sign of all signs, like someone in that space telling you, look, uh, this may be a better fit. Like you said, it's slightly crushed your identity, but not really. No, not not looking back retrospectively. In the moment, it 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 definitely. I mean, it was the rug was pulled out from under me to use <laughs> to use a cliche, right? Yeah. So, um, and and you know, it's funny. I've never talked about this before. Good opening question. That's why I said people sometimes say, "Wow, that's a good question," and they're usually just doing that to buy time. It's <laughs> not course. actually a good question. That was actually like, God dang, you know that 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 sort of hit because because yeah, I, thinking back on it that conversation with him was one of those moments in my life that completely fundamentally changed, you know, changed my future, changed who I am today. Uh, I think had I not done that, I, you know, I think it would have been happy. You know, I don't yeah. think it's one of those things where everything would have been terrible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I don't know if I would be where I am today had it, had it not been for that. But that was the moment when I said, I need to really look at this. Um, the time when I knew that I could really make a business out of it, I had a number in my head that was $6,000 a month because wow. I figured if I made $6,000 in a month uh, pre-tax, that was all the money I could ever need. Like, I don't know where, I don't even remember where it came from. Really. I like at one point I had done the math and whether or not the math was even relevant, I planted this $6,000 a month number in my head. And I actually was there pretty consistently um, and had some months where I was much higher by the time I graduated from college. So for me, um, the idea of, can I run a, can I run a company? You know, thankfully I got to kind of test drive it, you know, when I was in college and it's sort of all, the only thing I've ever done now. So this is really interesting. So your business started essentially in your early twenties and mine started in my late thirties, basically almost 40. And I made a post just last week about how, when I decided to leave my job, which was in Austin, um, and move in with my in-laws and I was like, I'll figure it out. And, and my father, and I looked into videography, video marketing, my father's like, that's a hobby. And I remember, and I, and I said this exact words later, like that should have pierced me, but it didn't. Um, because I knew, I finally kind of knew where I existed, why I had to be here and how I could serve. So what do you say to people who look at what they're doing as a hobby and are just like, that's really its limit. Uh, you know, everyone I, I believe really puts up the invisible fences where it's like they imagine that they can't actually monetize. How do you kind of break from that? Well, I think, you know, now, thankfully, so I'll answer it kind of very pragmatically, and then I'll give what I think is the real answer. So the pragmatic answer is because of, you know, the internet and the fact that ideas can spread and people can find communities and pockets in ways that just simply didn't exist even a decade ago, right? With social. And this is in entertainment media. I mean, now the ability to make a full-time living with those quote unquote thousand true fans. If you've read that article, if you haven't Google it, it's not hundred percent correct, but it's, it's close enough, right? The, the idea of, of being able to make a living off of like just a thousand people, it's, it's real. It's true. And too many people have done it to where now I think we're beyond, we're beyond the point where you really need to argue that, that anymore. Like when I did it, um, 
you know, when I said I'm going to have start a business on the internet uh, in the early, early 2000s, you know, people basically thought that you were like a scam artist or you were in porn or something like that. Like I remember my father-in-law when I, when I asked his permission to propose to his daughter, my now wife, um, I, he said, what are you going to do? And I lied. I said, I'm going to go into financial services because I, and it wasn't completely untrue because I, that was my internship in college. Um, to kind of, that was my, cause I mean, I, I, I didn't have money for college, so I, I had a, a job, um, went to college, and started the business. And so all those things were how I was able to, to pay my way through school. So I was like, yeah, I've got this. I'm in financial services, and they've offered me a job, which is true. They'd offered me the job. I had no mm-hmm. intention of taking it or staying there full time. <laughs> because I knew if I told them, like, well, I've got these little websites on the internet, you'd probably be like, well, no, you can't marry my daughter. So, yeah. um, so I, I'll say, like, we're not there anymore. And the idea of turning your hobby into something being able to make money a full, full-time income off of it, it's just there. It's true. Um, the ability to create generationally changing wealth. Now, depending on your hobby, that may not be there. It may not. Like what you're doing, and I think that's where you've got to be careful is a lot of times, depending on who you're talking to, they'll disregard your idea either because they think that, well, it's not even possible to make money off of that, like a full-time, which is untrue. Um, or they're taking the opposite perspective, which is, well, that's not ever going to be a big enough business where you can have a building full of people and, and go public, which is kind of an irrelevant comparison today, mm-hmm. right? You can have a very, very successful business that, you know, you never have more than one employee yourself and you make way more than you would make in a job. So I think true. if you want kind of the pragmatic thing, there it is. I think the, the bigger deal is just be careful who you're listening to because if you say out there publicly, um, I want to do this. And if you've got your own doubts, Hey, that's fine. That's understandable. Right. You know mm-hmm. yourself, like we know ourselves better than anybody else. We know our own inadequacies. If you doubt yourself, that's called just being like a rational human, right? The people who are like, of course I can do this. Those are the ones that freak me out. Cause it's like, man, you're a delusional narcissist, right? <laughs> if you've got some doubts in yourself, that does not disqualify you from successful entrepreneurship. That means that you're rational and you've got that piece in there, especially if you're still willing to move forward. Now, if you say it to others and some others come in and they start like kind of chirping at you, they're like, I don't know if you're going to make that. You sort of have to consider the source a little bit, right? Uh, I remember when I told my dad uh, that I was, you know, going to quit the job that I had and do this full time. He was like, that's so risky. Um, What are you going to do about health insurance? I'm like, I hadn't really thought about it. You know, that, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my premise. Like, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. When we talk to people, you got to know if, if you talk to ordinary people and they question the thing that you're doing, it suggests that you're doing something that's extraordinary. Now it could be extraordinary or extraordinarily stupid, yeah. or it could be an extraordinarily great idea. But yeah. if you ask somebody in your life, who's led a generally ordinary existence, um, about an idea that you have that's by its very nature, extraordinary, you shouldn't be surprised if they respond in a negative way. I feel like that is so on the money, not just in terms of finances, but when you talk about generationally changing, uh, you mentioned wealth, but but just creativity. I didn't know I had a creative bone in my body. And now I'm like, I'd love to give my camera to my three-year-old and be like, check this out. Don't break it, but check this out. And she sees all the videos. I mean, I, I completely understand where my parents, I mean, they think I am, uh, you know, in the matrix when I just go and reset their Wi-Fi password. It's like ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, right. it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but I want to read a quote to you um, that uh, 
David Gerhardt has in his lawsofcopywriting.com. And it's a, it's a quote of yours. It says, when creating your company's messaging, remember to appeal to felt needs. If you can tell a person a story, you can capture their attention. If you can help them tell a new story about themselves, they'll capture their hearts. And I'm like, okay, like this is why I want to have a podcast with him on. So <laughs> the reason I read that to you just now is I believe and I have seen now for myself that the impact copywriting has has changed dramatically or maybe not changed dramatically but at least changed as far as the priority in in, in someone especially who's obsessed with video um, when I saw you at hypergrowth you said the one app everyone opens every day is their email and I was like blown away. I was like, that is so unbelievably accurate. Can you talk to me a little bit about copywriting and how email marketing and copywriting and copywriting for, you know, that newsletter that you want to start is still viable, even though people know that could get sent to junk any given moment? <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk. I mean, because there's kind of two things. There. Yeah. There's copywriting and then there is email marketing as a channel, right? Sure. So when we think about copywriting, I mean, everything is copy. Right. So if, if it's a script for a video, that's copy. If it's a social media post or on LinkedIn, that's copy. If you write an ad, that's copy. Email is copy. Landing page is copy. So everything that gets put out, whether it's spoken, um, whether it's read, whether it's done in presentation, if you understand like all of that is copywriting, right? That, that's what, that's, that's what all of it is. And so understanding how to write, even if it just makes you a better, you know, presenter, even if it just makes you better on camera understanding good copy is going to make you better at all of that stuff, even if you're not necessarily trying to sell something, mm -hmm. right? Really good copy is also good journalism because good copy is simply, you know, it, it can just be the kind of thing that just pulls you through, right? So when, when it comes to copywriting, it is a world in which you can go down. I mean, it, it's a science and an art. So it's the kind of thing that you can do your entire life and never master. Um, and it's one of those things where at the same time, where if you learn a few things, you can be incredibly good. Like you can be so much better than everybody else if it, just by learning, you know, just, just by learning a few things, it's sort of like cooking, right? <laughs> cooking is one of those things where you learn a couple of skills. Like, you, you, you know, you, somebody shows you how to cut an onion once and you know how to cut an onion without crying, you know, mm -hmm. but there's certain <laughs> skills that if you just learn that are fairly basic, you can become really competent really quickly. Now you want to be like a three-star Michelin chef good freaking luck, right? That's called <laughs> the rest of your life. Copy is much the same way. But what I'll tell people, if you want to be a better copywriter, the first thing that you have to do is getting back to the felt needs issue is you got to know your customer. Mm -hmm. And the first layer of knowing your customer is understanding what is it that they're buying. And there's only two things that anybody's ever buying. Uh, thing number one is transformation. And thing number two is identity reinforcement. So people either want to be moved from a less desirable before state to a more desirable after state. They want to be transformed. Like I want to be something different. I want to be someplace different. I want to feel something different than what I feel right now. Right? So that's, that's one thing. And, and so that's where, if you know you're writing for that, then leading with the problem mm -hmm. and kind of agitating the problem and then giving a solution to the problem. Yes. Very classic copy, right? 100%. Now the other side is identity reinforcement. Let's say somebody, and this is common in luxury goods, Mm -hmm. uh, this can be common for a lot of enterprise level things. I mean, it, it really sort of depends where, where um, if, if what you're ultimately selling is status, right? So identity reinforcement status, somebody wants a certification, 
Um, somebody posted the other day, like, why do people retweet? They retweet for identity reinforcement, right? <laughs> why do people subscribe um, to magazines, right? We subscribe to magazines and lay them out on our coffee table so that we have a way of saying this is who I am, right? So I think the first thing, if you can just get crystal clear on knowing that, like, am I selling transformation or am I selling identity I reinforcement? That. Then be clear on, okay, what do they want to be? If it's identity reinforcement, what identity do they want reinforced, right? Speak to that. If it's transformation, if you know where they are and where they want to go, the problem is where they are, the solution is where they want to go. All you got to do is connect the dots for how you write us. So that's copywriting at the end yeah. of the day. There's it. different formulas and things, but like that's, if you can just get that piece, that's when I say felt need, that's what it comes down to. Now, email. Why is email so powerful? Email is so powerful because Everybody uses it. Everybody knows how to use it. Um, it's captive. You know, yes, social is, everybody's using that too. But gosh, you go to like Facebook or Instagram or God forbid, TikTok, one, you know, one of these other things. And <laughs> like, it's a constant feed. There's, yeah. there's scroll, scroll, scroll. It's endless. You know, your users have to go there to find you. There's mm -hmm. other people trying to distract them. Email is still this beautiful medium where I can send the communication to you and there's a really good chance that you're going to open it. And, and if you open it, there's a really good chance if I do my job right from a copywriting perspective, that I'm going to get you to read it. And then when you're done reading it, there's a really good chance that you're going to click a link because when you get to the bottom of an email, you're done with that email, mm -hmm. right? There's not another thing waiting to distract you. Yes. So email still, um, whether you're trying to communicate an idea to uh, to a team member or to somebody that you know, uh, I mean, if I wanted to get in touch with a friend, I'm not going to post on their Facebook wall. I'm going to send them an email, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, come on. No, yeah. more powerful than that is 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 text and SMS. But you, very often we can't or uh, don't have the ability or legally not allowed to do mass text, you know, sure. texting. So the closest thing we kind of got is you know is email. I still feel like as far as marketing and communication goes, it's one of the most um, you know, look overlooked media because it's been here for so long. Uh, it's not as cool. It's not new, but it's only always been the most effective and likely always will be. I want to stay on this really quick. So I, I am going to be so brutally honest with you about me right now. And I know the same for some of my other fellow veteran entrepreneurs. Email list is was the last thing on my mind ever. And when I listen to people like you and, and others in, in, in this space, they're like, you should have been doing that forever ago. When it comes to an email list, I do believe that there's still the risk. It's it's a it's it's more of a risk of almost embarrassment. If someone unfollows me on Instagram, like thank you, no worries at all, I don't care. But if you unsubscribe from my email list, where I'm trying to provide value and tell you why video and LinkedIn are so great, and check out my YouTube channel if you want some more tips or whatever it may be, um, you know how do you how do you kind of make amends with that when you know now it's a little bit more personal and it's not out in social media world. It is very like you said. Uh, almost, I don't want to say intimate, but more along those lines. Uh, how do you build an email list knowing that there's that risk that people are just going to say, dude, no, thank you. Like I'm good. Yeah. Well, I would way prefer they unsubscribe and just um, unopen and perpetually filter me somewhere else. So I, I think what you have to come to grips with number one is uh, you got to appropriately position yourself in the universe. So what I realize is that I'm just not that freaking important. <laughs> right. And so I don't get surprised. Like, I, I honestly, I don't even look at our unsubscribe rate. Yeah. You know, it's not one of those things that, that matters. 
I look at open rate. How many people are opening things? And I want to see that the open rate is kind of staying. And if, and if we've got a message where the open rate's low, well, that, that tells me that that subject line simply didn't, you know, simply didn't hit. Um, and if I see the open rate being on a, on this steady downward path, then that means that I'm not delivering, you know, enough value to where, you know, people want to, you know, but, but what you find is if you kind of get into a groove, it basically remains the same. Yeah. So if somebody unsubscribes or if somebody uh, stops opening, well, that's not because of you, that's something going on in their world. Yep. And, and that's fine, right? Yeah. I mean, somebody could have signed up for one of our, our newsletters because they were in marketing and then, you know, they got laid off from their job mm-hmm. and now they're not in marketing. Now, now they're, they're doing real estate or something like that. So they, yeah. they unsubscribe because every time they receive it, they could love the newsletter, but every time they receive it, it's just a reminder of like this career that they wanted that's now gone, right? That shouldn't hurt my feelings, yeah. right? So uh, I just try to think about... It's sort of like when you're driving down the road, and you're stuck in traffic, and somebody honks their horn. Like, <laughs> I didn't do anything to that person. Like, maybe I don't. Even, they may not even. I assume they're not even honking at me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think I think it's just realizing that that you just don't freaking matter that much. Yeah. Um, and it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely that somebody unsubscribed because you're just not doing a very good job, right? More than likely, somebody unsubscribe because stuff has changed in their world. It has everything to do with them and almost nothing to do with you. Now, if you get massed unsubscribes, if you watch your open rate go from like 30, 40% down to like 20%, then there's a problem. Like, but that's, you know, you need to come to grips with that and be like, what am I doing that's generally sucking at large? Because people are voting in mass. But one person here unsubscribing, one person here doing it, that, that's about them. That's not about me. When the pandemic started to kind of pick up, one of the first resources that became available for free was basically just a ton of courses on digitalmarketer.com. And I was like, I loved that. I was like, this that's always validating for me. That's identity reinforcement that I know who to like look to for like, okay, like here's the beacons. And I thought that was incredible. Now, one thing I've seen you talk about is how educating the marketplace is one of the best things that will keep you relevant, keep your pipeline full, so to speak. How do you, as a business owner, if I'm a business owner, whatever it is, whether I'm selling gym equipment, whether I'm selling video marketing, whether I'm selling books, or I have a a service, a professional services business, a lot of people in in this area that I hear are just like, I don't want to give away all these things. I spent all this time learning this thing and and all all these things. And, and, you know, Gary Vee said to me straight to my face, he's like, I try and give away as much as humanly possible for free. Where are you in terms of, you know, educating the market, being top of mind versus that point where you have to sell? And I'm, I'm talking to you as someone who's maybe coming out of college and not where you are right now. You know, when is it where you're educating and then I need to keep the lights on in here? Yeah, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, right? So I think you can, I think you can give, 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 and then, and you can also say, you know, I, I'd like for you to buy this. Um, so in terms of, of where does it happen within an individual relationship, right? So let's look at it from an individual prospect, more thinking about it from a sequencing perspective. You know, we want to make sure that we can say, Hey, I've, I've given value in advance before I sell. Yes. Now, what is value in advance? Uh, Cause obviously that's very relative. Like, Oh, does that mean that, that you need to talk to them for 30 days before, you know, what, like the answer is it depends, right? Mm-hmm. I think what, what you have to do is you have to say like, I know that I've given this person enough to where I've earned the right to ask, right? Okay. And, and I think where the mistake that a lot of people will get into is, is there's two extremes. 
And there's a whole lot of room to do it right in the middle. And people argue over kind of the shades of rightness within the middle. Like, I don't know, screw it. Like, try it. You know, as long as you can say, I gave some value in advance, then I think you're generally fine. So what it's easier to say, like, what's bad? So what's bad is reaching out to somebody completely cold and saying, hey, buy my thing okay. without having done any research whatsoever. Now, if you've taken the time to do your research and to know, I know I can actually help this person. I know that I can help this person. I know the solution I have is actually you know, helpful. I've done my research and you reach out to them and you go, hey, I've done some research, put in the time, saw that you're doing this. I know that I can help in this area. Um, I'd love to talk. I don't have a problem with that. Have you delivered value um, in advance directly to them? Not yet, but at least in the conversation, hopefully you will. You've at least earned the right to have the conversation because you put in the work ahead of time, right? You're not just wasting somebody's time in the hope of convincing them to buy something that they may or may not need, right? So being there showing up, I say like just buying the first drink, right? What is that equivalent? Like buy the first drink, like be there, show up, like that's good enough. Now, what's I think the other extreme that's also bad is give, 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 never ask, and then complain and get all whiny that nobody ever gave you anything. It's like, man, you just got friend zoned. I don't know what to tell you, right? The, the reason that she's going out with the other guy is because he asked. He asked her out. You never did, okay? And that has nothing to do with her. It has everything to do with you kind of being a coward. So don't put that on her. And, and I'm using... You know, I'm obviously using male, female, boy, girl relationships. Yeah. The opposite could also be true. Same sex relationships could be mm-hmm. true. I'm, I've had these conversations with friends of mm-hmm. mine, right? Where it's like, oh man, you know, we hung out for so long and why didn't she ever get, oh, like now she's with this guy. I thought we had things like, did you ever ask her? The reluctance in that moment, in that time where you know you've given value and I know I could help Ryan and I know I could do X, Y, and Z for him. He, I've even heard him say, you know, these are some of the things he needs and this would make his life easier. What is it that plants that reluctant seed in your head to say, you know what, I'm, I am going to be sort of cowardly and just slay off and I don't want to ruin this friendship. Uh, what is it in your experience and seeing other business owners that prevents us from doing that effectively? Yes, it's fear of rejection and, and fear again of it goes back to identity and reinforcement, right? What they want, they would rather tell themselves a story that I'm a really nice person and I, I, don't, I don't really believe in selling. I'm all just about giving. No, you're not. Like what you are is you're afraid of rejection. And and because you're afraid of rejection, because you're afraid of getting your ego squashed a little bit, you're unwilling to put yourself out there in a way that could be helpful for somebody else. So you've couched it in this kind of cute, adorable little, like, I'm such a nice person, but really you're not. You're selfish. Your selfishness, your fear of rejection, if you if you actually have something good, is causing somebody else to not get into a, a, a better potential state or you're not even giving them the option. Like at least if you gave them the option to say no, you know, then at least it was on them. So no, I mean, it's what it is, is it's all selfishness. And that's why I have no patience or tolerance for it. When I see it, when I see it, the worst is when I see marketers and gurus out there talking about, it. it's like, all you're doing is you're taking your own personal inadequacies and you're trying to project them as some virtuous quality onto other people screw you. That's not how life, money, business, anything works. Yes, go first. Yes, do your research. Yes, do your homework. Yes, offer to buy the first drink, but then say, I got something here. I think it's really good. It'll help out. Do you want it? And if they say no, go, cool. I understand and move on. 
Mm. But to, to pretend like you're doing them a service by never even giving them the option is just, you're just lying to yourself. I love that. Yeah. So we have time for a couple more questions. I want to talk about scaling. I want to talk about this because it matters to me. I told you before we started, I was like, hey, when I met you, here's where I was, here I am now. And I said to you, um, I almost feel like I'm in over my head. I won't be because I care about serving ridiculously. So we're going to be fine. However, when it comes to scaling, when you were at your goal of $6,000 a month pre-tax and you're like, all right, cool, that, that'll make me happy to where you are now, having launched successful businesses, having traffic and conversion summits, speaking all over the world, all these different things, how do you even register that component in your head where you say, it's okay to keep going or I need to put the brakes on for a little bit because I don't want to put myself in a position to underserve these people I've made a promise to. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Again, there's, there's kind of two things there, right? So there's the, there's the thing of, I don't want to overserve, which that's a function of just good business operations, right? So your ability to scale your sales and, and making sure that your ability to sell uh, and your ability to fulfill doesn't get out of whack. I mean, that's just good. That's just being a good business person. Sure. And sometimes, you know, uh, we had an e-commerce, a number of e-commerce businesses over the years. And it's like, okay, our uh, shipment from China, literally one time it's like our shipment from China is held up in, um, there was a, a longshoreman strike in um, Los Angeles, in um, Long Beach. And so we got a bunch of stuff sitting on a, on a boat floating down the water that we're not going to get it now for who knows how long, right? So what do you do? Our ability to fulfill has been, our ability to fulfill, our ability to scale, right, has been limited. We can't fix it. So we said that is out of stock. That sucked, but like, that's the honest thing to do, yeah. right? So, so that, that thing of making sure that you keep those two things going, that, that's just basic business, making sure that you're doing the best that you can. You won't always be perfect. Uh, there's times when you'll sell, you know, at ahead of your ability to deliver. My thing is, as long as I'm willing to give a refund if I need to, I'm going to err on the side of selling harder and, and putting the onus back on me to make sure I deliver. And if I can't, it's like, I didn't deliver. Here you go. Here's your money back. Um, so that's kind of one side of it. The other side is, is you personally, like the whole, like, when is enough enough? I kind of heard that question there a little bit. And, you know, for me, I don't have a good answer for that. It has to do now. Uh, thankfully, I'm at, a, I'm at a point where there's, you know, I'm good right? There's been enough things there. There's enough cash in the bank, enough stuff like I'm, I'm good. So there is a time when it just becomes about the game. And that's when you figure out, um, did you do this for the stuff or did you do this because you just enjoy the process? Right. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the realization that I really do just, and I enjoy the process a lot. I enjoy the game. I think it's fun. I think it's the only way that I suck at golf. You know, it's not like I'm going to do that full time. Um, traveling's fun, but I can't do it constantly. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so I have no desire to, to turn it off. That's fantastic. Now, customer centricity is something you speak about all the time. And, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, but um, you know, you, for putting out a solution to a problem that you've acutely felt can very much put you in a place where you know you can serve someone because that problem exists. Now, at the same time, I saw a post, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago on LinkedIn, it was a video post where you're talking about sometimes people just don't want what you have. Um, you know, 
how do you make amends with that piece where you're like, look, this is, this is serious. I know I'm not the only one going through this. Um, and I know this can be potentially transformational, uh, for some people. And then, you know, maybe it just flops. Maybe you put a bunch of money, your, your first paid ads behind uh, Facebook or whatever it may be. And then it flops. How do you take and analyze that to produce something better? And to, to, to really look da- look a little bit deeper and to make a pr- potentially better product. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you've got to decide, did I create something that, that nobody wants? So did I just swing and miss? Or have I done a bad job of, of uh, messaging and positioning its value? And, and both can be true. Look, I mean, sometimes you create stuff and, and you've got a really significant, you know, painful felt need. And maybe some other people do too. But they just don't to, to enough of an extent that, that it's commercially viable. Is the pain there? Sure. Is the pain so great that somebody's willing to pay you enough that you can afford to fulfill, that you can afford to service, so that you can afford to acquire additional customers? And sometimes the answer is no. The pain just isn't great enough. And the only way that you really know if it's there, I mean, there's things that you could do on the front end with, with customer surveys. Uh, my buddy Heaton Shaw has some really great stuff on how to do customer interviews. If you just Heaton uh, Shaw, so H-I-T-E-N and Shaw's S-H-A-H, um, and just customer interviews, he's got some phenomenal stuff out there that will help. It won't eliminate all the risk, but it'll be helpful. But God, there's no substitute for just getting out there and starting to sell it. Yep. And sometimes you start selling it and people go, yeah, I'll buy it. And sometimes you start selling it and people go, you know, it sounds cool, but, uh, and that's what's where the honesty comes in. Cause I'll tell you, if you ask people their opinion, they'll tell you it's great. If you ask people, if they want to buy it. That's when they get honest. <laughs> so I think you've got to get out there. You got to start selling it. You got to know that sometimes you're going to be wrong. Uh, sometimes the positioning is just a little bit off. And so, again, going back and testing new, that's why copy is so important, testing yeah. different messaging. Um, yes. Sometimes you're taking it to slightly the wrong market. You know, we've done that before. When Digital Marketer first rolled out certifications, uh, we rolled out certifications to our existing audience, which was at the time a lot more entrepreneurs and small business owners. And they're like, screw you, why do I need a certification? <laughs> yeah. like, I just need to learn this stuff. When we said, like, get this for your team so that you know that they actually know how to do this stuff. Ah, same market, different positioning, right? When we took it up market into the enterprise, uh, when we took it to people who were looking for new jobs, when we took it to people who were in college looking to graduate, okay, same product. So a lot of times people want to, uh, the the messaging really goes, do, do I have the right market? Do I have the right messaging? And then and only then will we look back and tweak the product. Right. If you felt it, you felt the pain. Make sure you're taking it to that right market. I have two more quick ones. The best hire as a new business owner for you was what? Somebody to manage uh, inbound customer support requests. Mm-hmm. Because it's just constant and it's there. And if you're not careful, um, it can be very, very distracting because invariably you're hearing from the loudest people, which do not necessarily represent the majority. But what they can do is they can send you off on a lot of different tangents. Also for me, I might not have said this earlier. I, I think I may have alluded to the opposite. I can get my feelings hurt very, fairly easily if I get negative feedback. Like it doesn't hurt my feelings if somebody unsubscribes. But a lot of that's also, I protect myself. I don't look at that as much, right? I'm going <laughs> to shield myself from it. Now, you can't let it go so far that you go kind of see no evil, right? You need to make sure that there is a feedback loop and you ask the person, 
hey, generally, what are we hearing right now? All the general stuff is this, okay, how many people do we hear that from? Well, two, okay, that's not really statistically significant. So I'm going to process it and filter it through. But that, that to me was, um, th- that was the, the most important. That was the first hire. I think also um, you're going to need somebody on the marketing and the content side in particular. If you don't yeah. love creating content, you're going to need somebody to help you create content or create content for you because all marketing that you're going to do is going to be about some type of content amplification, whether it's, you know, driving traffic to a blog post or to a video, the stuff that you're doing, like you got to have somebody out there producing that raw content for you. If you don't know how to do it, um, that's going to be critical, critical. And last thing, I'm a veteran. Uh, I'm getting out. I was an artilleryman in the Marine Corps. And now here I am. Act two is about you. I say, I like to tell veterans and I'm like, look, like pick what you want. You can do this. You don't have to go into the traditional job role. What I see the most, Ryan, is that people learn, 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 and they don't execute enough. Now talking to you, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure this is probably inaccurate. I just feel like you've always been in execution mode, you know, you're, but at some point you have to learn in order to scale and to make better offerings for everyone. What, like, what is your advice on not overlearning, so to speak, and just absorbing and, and, and the balance of executing and not necessarily moving forward, waiting to get all the information you can before you go? Yeah. So first you need to learn in the context of a project or an activity. So learning outside of that context, it's going to get lost. So if you just want to say, and it's why most of us don't remember what we learned in school because we had no active context for it. So when you were learning artillery, they're like, you're going to be shooting like giant shells. Like, like you're like, all right, I need to figure this stuff out. Cause like, I'm going to do this stuff. Right. By the way, thank you for your service and to everybody else <laughs> listening it. out there. Um, very appreciative. I know I recognize we've got an all military, uh, an all volunteer force. So I do thank everybody out there for doing that. Appreciate it. Um, so having that thing now, what you can say is, okay, what do I need to learn so that I can do this? What I then do is I binge my learning with mm-hmm. that context in mind. So I literally will go and buy the top 10 books on that subject. I'll go to Amazon and I'll look at the top 10 books and I'll read like the first three And my process is I'm going to go through and I'm just going to distill them. And then I go back and I highlight all the areas that they obviously just, that they obviously agree on. And I just take that as fact. Then I go in and I say, what are the areas where they tend to disagree? Then I will read the rest of the books to try to formulate my own thesis on what do I believe to be true based on what I'm reading here. So I'm not going to totally reinvent a new playbook, right? If all these people have gone before me say, no, no, these are the things that are generally true. Cool. Got it. I'll accept that. But there's going to be those areas where they, where they don't. And, um, and so that's where I want to read through in the context of what I'm doing. Cause very often people will disagree. They actually would agree. They're just coming at it from different contexts. So I'm trying to figure out again, the context of what I'm doing, what do I believe to be true? That will formulate my plan A, my plan B and my plan C. And um, I'll do it with books, I'll do it with podcasts, I'll do it with everything, but I'll binge for a week, maybe two. And I mean binge. Like I will consume insane amounts of information. I'll take lots of notes in like a Google Doc where I'm basically creating my own stuff. And that's how I got to teaching this stuff. Right? <laughs> that is so unbelievably helpful. I mean, like I, I'm telling you, I know a lot of people who struggle with that. So look, Thank you so much. I know you're incredibly busy. I really, really appreciate all the knowledge that you've given over uh, to us. And where can people find you if they do want to either pursue some of those certifications or just consume your content or engage with you? 
So digitalmarketer.com, if you want to learn marketing stuff, we also launched a brand new property that I'm really excited about at scalable.co. So scalable.co, S-C-A-L-A-B-L-E.co. And that is really for those accidental entrepreneurs out there. So those people who are getting started, not just talking about marketing, talking about all things kind of business. So you know, check me out there. Digital Marketer is a big team. There's a lot of people writing a lot of stuff right now. Scalable is basically just a little me. I love it. I can't wait to check it out. So thank you so much for your time. And I will run into you at some point, Ryan, and then, then we'll, we'll make it happen then. We'll make it happen, Rich. Thanks for having me. Take care. Clearly, I've gone about learning all wrong. That is such a good system Ryan talked about in terms of just binging, seeing what people agree upon, seeing what people don't agree on, and then finding your way in the middle of all of that. Uh, Hopefully you got a lot away from this podcast, including how you could generationally change your wealth by latching onto an idea, by staying out of the business friend zone, so to speak, and by learning how to write good copy, by understanding that a hobby can become a business and that while there's competition out there, you don't have a leg to stand on by saying you can't actually run a business off what it is that you'd like to. So thank you very much for your time. We will be back next week. It's the Leadership Locker with Rich Cardona. Please rate and review if you got anything, anything at all from this. Would love your feedback. Take care.